Glad that you're with us today, and what a good day it is to be together. This service is getting full these days, which is great. First service still has some space if you want to go to first service, but glad that you're here with us this morning. This is a big weekend for so many families. Last last weekend was also big, but this is the time of year that our kids are going back to school. Some of you have already started. Some of you are about to start. We have lots of kids that are in public school, private school, home school, and whatever other kind of school there is. We have kids that are there. And as we begin this morning, I want us to pray for those kids, those children, but also for teachers and administrators and for, for people in other areas that help with our schools and for you as parents, especially those of you who are sending your kids to a new school for the first time. Let's pray as we begin. Dear God, we trust you, we love you, and Father, it is always a time of anticipation, sometimes of excitement and sometimes a little bit of fear as we send our kids to school and as we study, as we, as we teach our children and as we administrate and all those other things. Father, I pray this morning that you will keep our children and our workers in our schools safe. And I pray, Father, that you will give them knowledge, knowledge to know the answers, intellect to do well. Father, give them the assurance that, and, and the self-esteem that, they can, that, that the kids can put the right answers down and, and succeed in their clubs and organizations, and that our teachers will teach in a way that will, that will lead our kids toward a better world, that our principals and other staff will do the same. But Father, I also pray for boldness. Boldness not in a way to be tacky and not in a way to, uh, to cause problems, but boldness to be comfortable that Jesus is Lord. Whatever our role is, Father, that we will demonstrate that. Whatever we can say vocally and certainly what we can show with our example. Father, we love you and need you. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we are so happy that you're here today. And also, as we think of bold faith, you came today and you saw the world changed just a little bit. When Sophie was baptized into Christ, do you realize what was happening? That there was a new babe in Christ. That sins were taken away. That God, through the way God does it, although we didn't see anything, God does a miracle. That he takes away sin. What no man or woman or person can do when God does it, that's miraculous. And we saw it today. And praise God for Sophie. And we commit ourselves to her and so many others to help her and others grow in the Lord. This morning we're talking again, continuing to talk about bold faith. And we continue to talk about Elijah. Last week we were talking about him. This is part two of Elijah. Now you may remember last week Elijah was in an incredible place. He had done, and God had done, an amazing miracle through Elijah. And so God, or Elijah, had decided he was the only prophet that was still faithful to God, that everyone else in the whole country of Israel had given up on God. And while there was a king and queen in Israel, King Ahab and Queen Jezebel, they are supposed to be the people that are leading their people toward God, but instead of leading them toward God, they are leading their people away from God. Jezebel is known sometimes 
as maybe the most wicked woman ever to live because her heart was so against God. And so you may remember, if you know that story in the Bible, true story, if you know that story in the Bible, or you were here last week, you remember that, that Baal, or Baal as his name was, the people worshipped this god called Baal, and everybody, all of God's children, it appeared, had all decided they were also going to worship Baal, that they had given up on God the Father, the one that we call Yahweh in the Bible, they'd given up on him for whatever reason, and they're going to worship an idol. And so, so Elijah calls all the people up on the mountain, he calls the prophets on the mountain, and he says, build an altar. And they build an altar, and they say, we're going to see who is the greatest of the gods. Is it Baal, or is it Yahweh God, the God of the Bible? We'll decide by this little thing we do here. And so they build an altar, and they put wood on it, and they put an animal, a bull on it. And he says, okay, now pray to your God, to Baal, and to see if, God, if your God, Baal, will bring down fire and, and, and accept this offering. And all the people prayed, and they prayed, and they prayed, and they prayed so much that they finally started cutting themselves, that maybe Baal would see how much, how serious they were, and how sincere they were. But there was silence, because Baal is not a real god. But they cry out to Baal even more, and there is silence. And finally, Elijah says, okay, now it's time for me to build the other the other altar, and they take 12 stones representing Israel. They build 12 stones. They put the wood on top. They put the animal on top as well. They dig a trench around it because he's going to pour water on it. He pours 12 pitchers of water onto this altar, which you would think it would not light if that were to happen. And then he prays with all of his heart to God in heaven that may you please accept this offering. And sure enough, fire comes down from heaven, and it takes not only the bull, but it takes the altar and it takes the water and it takes everything and God is incredible and they had in, they had just experienced maybe one of the most amazing miracles apart from creation and the and the resurrection this has to be in the top five somewhere this was incredible what he had just seen happen God had shown his power to the people Everyone that was there saw it. King Ahab was there. Jezebel wasn't. King Ahab was there. The prophets were there. And now all at once people are bowing down and saying, Yahweh is God. Yahweh is God. He is the one we follow. And this should have been the most monumental, monumental moment in the life of Elijah. He feels vindicated. You know that term, vindicated? When it was like, every, I told you I was right, and everybody else was wrong, but I told you I was right. It would be like when maybe your sports team is playing and nobody believes, only you believe. So, for an example, it might be like everybody, all your friends are Texas Rangers fans, and you were the lone Astro fan, and you said, we will win the championship, and they said no. And we won, right? And you said, I told you so. I told you so. This is the mic drop moment. Do you know that term, mic drop? Whenever maybe you're arguing with someone and finally you say something that the other person cannot, cannot say anything back to, drop the mic and walk off because you are done. You have won. God has won on Mount Carmel. Now we get to the next verse in First Kings chapter 19, verses 1 through 6. Now Ahab, King Ahab, told Queen Jezebel everything that Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. 
So Jezebel sent a messenger to Eli, to Elijah to say, May the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like, that, like one of them. And Elijah was afraid, and he ran for his life. And when he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there, while he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness. Now let's stop. Let's go back to that slide here for just a minute, because I want to talk about it for a minute. There are several things here, at least two that I want to point out. One of the things I want to point out here is Jezebel didn't see it, and Jezebel is not going to change her mind for anything. There are some people that it does not matter what you do, they are not going to change their minds. It doesn't matter. I mean, it doesn't. She's still crying out to her gods, even though she has realized at least one of her gods is a, is a fake god, she's still going to believe in that. No matter what, there will be people that will not believe in the God, Yahweh. There will be people who will not believe in you, no matter what you say. Even if God were to speak to them, they wouldn't believe it. Now, the reason I say all that is because, understand, when you're talking to people, there are some people that while you keep praying for them, you walk away from because they are closed-minded as can be. Sometimes that is the only way you can go. Now, here's another thing that I think is interesting. Elijah has seen something so incredible. He has, he has prayed to God, has seen what God has done, and the fire come from heaven. And now, just from the queen's words, because she did not agree, he is scared to death. Can you imagine? I think the most shocking thing is not that Jezebel doesn't believe, but that Elijah doesn't believe. I think for all of us, we have probably been there at some point. For those of us who have been Christians for a long time, probably we have had some moments where maybe we have prayed like crazy for someone to be saved or for someone to get well, and oh, they got well, and we praise God, and we hug each other, and the, the medical test came back better than what we had expected, and we're so happy, or we go to church camp, and we have this wonderful moment. We're so close to God. And then we have problems at work or problems in the marriage or we have problems with the kids. And now we're wondering, where is God? Was there even a God? Now, you may not go so far as to say you don't believe there is a God, but there have been moments that you have gone from these highs. How could you deny God to the point that you are now scared of the things that you know God is greater than? And that is where Elijah is. Elijah is considered the greatest of all the prophets. When you get into the New Testament and they refer to what the Jews would say, they, wouldn't, they would often say, Moses and Elijah. That is saying, when you say Moses and Elijah, you are saying the law, like the Ten Commandments and what goes with that, and all the prophets. There are lots of prophets. Just saying his name was enough. Elijah meant all the prophets. And here he is struggling. If you have found yourself struggling before, you are like even the people of the Bible who knew God and had an even more intimate relationship with him than we have. This lesson today is a little bit different than some that, that we sometimes study, but you'll see it is all straight out of Scripture. Let's go to that next part. He came to a broom bush. 
Those are like, that's the hardest thing in the world for me to say. It looks like a boom brush to me. But he, he came to a broom bush, and he sat down under it, and he prayed that he might die. I've had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I'm no better than my ancestors. And then he lay down under the brush, under the bush, and he fell asleep. And all at once an angel touched him and said, Get up and eat. And he looked around, and there by his head was some bread baked over hot coals, and there was a jar of water. And he ate and he drank. And then he lay down again. Well, I've had a lot of courses I've taken and degrees in Bible-related things, and I've even taken some courses in counseling. But I am not a counselor. I don't have the, that degree, those degrees to be a counselor, although I know enough to do triage, and that's about it, and send on to someone else. But this is what I do know just from reading what we're reading today, just like you probably will figure out if you haven't already noticed this. Elijah has some form of depression. Now, I don't know what the big technical word is for the type of depression he has, but what I do know is he is in some form of depression. Often, after we have a big high in life, we then have a low. These kind of things just seem to kind of happen. I was sharing with someone, I had a friend who had won a, a state academic contest back my age, and we were in Austin. Well, we're from this little town, we go to Austin. He wins the state academic meet. Big deal, right? And he told me that night he went to the tallest parking garage he could find and thought about jumping off of it. I said, why would you do that? He said, well, I didn't know, what it, I didn't know if I had any other goals in life. He said, I just had this big high, and now once I have this big low. Well, he did not, praise the Lord, jump off. But still there were those feelings that were there. Sometimes that happens to people when there has been a high. Now you have Elijah who has some form of, of depression. And he even tells you how he feels. He felt hopeless and afraid, right? He says, Lord, I just want to die. I mean, he's, he's hopeless. I mean, I, I do this. I mean, we've dropped the mic before there were microphones. He drops the mic, right? And, and <clears throat> did this, God did this incredible miracle, and it still doesn't convince Jezebel. She is the one that has the power, still doesn't convince her, and how frustrating this whole thing must have been. Now, from what I've read, and I've read a lot of websites just like you have, and books and different things, things from Johns Hopkins and the Cleveland Clinic and other names you would recognize, and when they start talking about depression and things that, that might show the tendencies of depression, one of those is, one of the common signs is too much sleep or too little sleep. Now, if you get too little sleep, that could be insomnia, right? And that could be one of the signs. It does, if you get too little sleep or wake up in the middle of the night, it does not mean that you have depression, but it could be. It could just mean that you should not have eaten lasagna at 8.30 at night, right? That could mean all it means. But it also could mean there is something going on there. Or it could mean that you sleep too much. I don't want to get up. I don't want to think about my problems. About 15% from what I've read from Johns Hopkins, about 15% of people who deal with depression, sleep is a part of the issue that's going on. It's one of the signs of what's going on. 281 million people in the, in the world at about any given time are officially depressed. 
Now, in the United States, lots of people get help for that, but in a lot of other nations, people don't get help for that. So this obviously is a problem. It is not something that we say, well, just with all the technologies caused it. No, this is something all the way back to the Bible that was going on. This is Elijah, of all people, that is struggling. Now, here are some more signs that, that I put the Bible verse next to what the science says. One of the things is, is that a person will want to quit. Well, Elijah literally uses a verse in verse 4 of chapter 19. I want to quit. I want to quit. And this isn't like, Lord, you know what? I'm just kind of tired and I'm ready to retire and go fishing. That is not what he's talking about here. This is not, I just want to sit in my chair and enjoy life. We're going to buy an RV and travel the country. That is not what he's saying here. He is saying, Lord, I'm serious. I'm done. I am done. You've heard those words in a marriage before, and yours or someone else's. You have heard those words in a, in a job situation. You know what I'm talking about. He wants to quit. He also said in that same verse, I want to die. Lord, kill me. I want to die. He is down. He is nearly as down as we could say that a man could get. He is down. And he also tells us even in that same time, he said, in that same verse, he has a low self-esteem. I am as bad as my ancestors were. Wow, his ancestors were pretty bad. And now he says, I'm as bad as they were. And so he obviously, this is another one of those signs. And then finally another, that he doesn't want to eat. And that, as you can tell, I'm not depressed. And so he, he obviously is, is ready to just give up. Now understand, any one of these, two of these, these may not mean that you're depressed. I'm not trying to make everyone go home today and go, oh no, what am I going to do? But these are some of the signs of depression. And here, Elijah, the great prophet, is dealing with those things. But I also want to give you a caveat here. Do you remember when he was there on the ground and asleep, and God sent an angel? Remember that? God sent the angel, and he came over and said, hey, here's some food. He brought him food. Now, the Bible does say in the book of Hebrews in the New Testament that some people have entertained angels without knowing it. So, possible real angels, but then there are people in our lives who aren't actual angels, but they're like an angel, right? We say, oh, you're an angel for what you've done. Oh, you helped me out. You're an angel. Well, maybe your angel is in the form of a friend or a counselor or a doctor. Maybe that's where you have found an angel that has done something for you. Maybe it's a spouse or a child that's helped you, or maybe it's a, a parent that's helped you, or a next-door neighbor. But somehow God has put someone in your life just at the right time when you needed it to help you. But God does that even though we don't always recognize what God is doing or we give, we give somebody else credit for it. It's God bringing those people into our lives to help us. So, I want you to see what God, Yahweh, does. He lets Elijah explain what's going on. Now, sometimes in other passages, God will ask questions. Like, he'll ask Adam and Eve, tell me what, you know, what have you done? And so then they get to tell what they did, right? So why would he do that? Now, God is being a great counselor here for Elijah. God already knows the answer, right? Because God knows everything, so he knows the answer. But this is not for God to gain information 
This is for Elijah to process the information. So he says, tell me what's going on. Elijah is processing what he is going through. I'm saying this if you as a friend are a counselor, and we have a great counseling center here and connected to this congregation that, that you may want to be a part of if you need to be. But why would you do that, right? Why, why would he need to process, process or, or excuse me, why would you need to listen to your friend if you already know the problem? Because your friend needs to process. So you don't say, I'll tell you what's wrong. You let them talk to you. Why do you feel this way? What are you dealing with? What is it that's your struggle right now? How did you feel when that happened? He just lets him talk. I want you to see here in 1 Kings chapter 19, verses 9 and 10. There, there Elijah went into a cave and he spent the night. And the word of the Lord came to him. What are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant. They've torn down your altars and they put your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left and now they're trying to kill me too. Do you hear what he's saying? He's processing this. Lord, they tore down your altars. They tore down your stuff. They, nobody else likes you. Nobody else cares. Only me. I'm it. And they're trying to kill me. I'm about done. I'm done. Just kill me too. Because he's already asked for that, right? So I want you to see the action that Yahweh takes in the next verses in 11 through 14. The Lord said, and this sounds like such an unusual answer, but the Lord says, Go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart, and it shattered the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak up over his face, and he went out and he stood by the mouth of the cave. Then a voice said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I have been very zealous for the Lord Almighty. He's going to say the same thing. The Israelites have rejected your covenant. They've torn down your altars. they put your prophets to death with a sword, and I am the only one left. And now they're trying to kill me too. Now, I want you to notice, when the Lord shows his power again, he's already shown his power whenever he ate up the altar. But now here he's, there's going to be a, a wind, there's going to be an earthquake, there's going to be a fire, and Elijah stays in the cave for all the power. For the whole show that's going on outside, he's in the cave. And now all at once it gets very quiet. And Elijah walks out in the quietness of all of this, and he hears the voice, What are you doing here, Elijah? And Elijah tells him the same thing. Oh, they, it's awful, Lord. Everybody has turned against you, and now they want to kill me too. And so now God gives direction. Here is direction from God, and it's so helpful in 1 Kings, the next verses, 15 through 18. The Lord said to him, Go back the way you came and go, by the, go to the desert of Damascus. When you get there, anoint Hazael, king over Aram. Also anoint Jehu, son of Nimshi, king over Israel. And anoint Elisha, son of Shaphat, from Abel-Meholah, to succeed you as prophet. 
Jehu will put to death, you will, will put to death any who escaped the sword of Hazael. And Elisha will put to death any who escaped the sword of Jehu. Yet I reserve 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed to Baal and whose mouths have not kissed him. Now here's an interesting thing as to what God did here. God does several things. We're not going to go into all of them today. We're going to go through this fairly fast. One of the things God says is, he told him to go and face his problem. Do you see that? Go back the way you came. Go back and face the issue. Wow, that's the last thing I would want to do. That's the last thing Elijah wanted to do. Go back and face it. And so he says, okay. And so now Elijah will walk back. He has run really fast, if you read some of the scripture we didn't today. And so he's gone way out in the desert. And now he will be walking back to where he was from. And then God did a couple of other really good things here. He gave him the names of other faithful people. You know, like Jehu and Elisha and some others. He gave him some names. He said, you're not the only ones. As a matter of fact, let me give you about three people or four people who I know have been faithful to me along the way. And then he said, I've got even more than that. It's even more than those people. He told them that there were 7,000 more faithful people. Couldn't list all 7,000 be like a phone book, right? And he says, says yeah, there's 7,000 more. You see what he's doing for Elijah? He is building Elijah up. He's saying, you are not alone. Face your problem. I'm with you. Here are some specific people that are going to help you. Now, one that's not on your screen today that I think is important for me just to spend a moment on. He is ready to quit. Remember, he, has, he is spent, as we sometimes say. And God says, go and appoint Elisha to be the new prophet. God is going to give him rest. He knows he is exhausted. And so he's going to, that is a very powerful part of the Old Testament as well, how Elisha becomes a prophet. But he gives him rest and allows him to pass on to Elisha that power. So God promises to be with us through our struggles. This is not just something for people that lived thousands of years ago, and it's not just for people in the Old Testament. He's still with us. In that powerful book, Romans chapter 8 in the New Testament, this is what God says for us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. The only thing I can do to lose the love of God is to not accept it. God wants to love me. He said, there is no power that is greater. There is no Jezebel that is so great that can separate you from the love of God. There is no Ahab that is so great he can separate you from the love of God. There is no government. There is no storm. There is no boss. There is no gang. There is no one that can separate us from the love of God. He loves us that much. And if that doesn't give you strength, now understand, you may need, as we've talked about this, you may need counseling, you may need medication, sometimes the chemicals get off in our heads. Understand that. A strong person, 
admits that they have weaknesses. A weak person pretends that they have no problems. A strong person admits, sometimes I need help. This may not be the help you need, may not be in this field. But we all struggle sometimes, even God's prophets. And so Elijah remained faithful to God. We know from the rest of the book he remains faithful to God. But here's my question for you today. What is my source? What is my source? Don't go to just to illegal drugs or abusive drugs for your source to take away the pain. Don't go to gambling to take away the pain. Don't go to alcohol to take away the pain. Go to God to take away the pain. God is the one that will ultimately give the joy that we're looking for. God is the one that gives the home where we want to be. If you have a home that is messed up, the one who will give you the home that is perfect is God. Go to the source. I read a little quote that said, There are many resources. There is only one source. God gives resources. Counseling and and doctors can be resources. But God is the source. Where do I go? This morning, maybe you need prayers from, from all of us, and the whole group will pray for you. Or you want to write to elders at mcoc.org, and they will pray for you. I will pray for you. I want to say a prayer right now, and this is based on Psalm chapter 18, verse 1. And I want you to pray with me as, as I say these words. Let's pray. Dear God, I love you. Lord, you are my strength. The Lord is my rock. The Lord is my fortress. The Lord is my deliverer. The Lord is my God. The Lord is my mountain where I seek refuge. You are my shield, Lord. Father, I will go nowhere else. I vow to you to remain faithful to you always. Help me, Lord. Help me to be faithful to you. Help me, Father, not to fear things on this earth but, Father, to put all of my faith in you. Help me, Father, to see people in need that need help. And, Father, help them to seek help. Father, we trust you. In Jesus' name, amen. If you are ready to be baptized into Christ today and not only receive forgiveness of sins, but receive help from the source, the gift of the Holy Spirit, or if you need prayers, We're here to help. We want to help you. Come as we we stand and sing.